Hi everybody, welcome back to the Everyday Hair Colorist, episode 10. Today I have somebody very special. I'd like to introduce you to a woman who is super commercial colorist. She's a global ambassador. She works incredibly hard. She travels the world. She's a single mom and her name is Min Kim. Welcome, Min. Hi, Jack. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm hanging in, living the glam life in my moo moo. <laughs> yeah, difficult times for all of us, hey, really, to be honest, especially for hairdressers. Um, what We met, what is it, 15 years ago, didn't we? We met 15 years ago. Yes, because I've been at the salon now, the same salon for 15 years, and I went to you, I think I remember being hungover at your class, <laughs> and we were forced to attend education then, and I remember seeing this, like, gentleman you were wearing all black, and I remember you had like some kind of like a black, heavy, like the hardware on your belt, oh and lots goodness. of jewelry. Still got lots of jewelry. I know, nothing's changed. We, no, we well, just look better. <laughs> just 15 years older. Um, so you work in New York City. Yes. What, working in New York City is very different to working in London. A typical day for you in the salon. Let's, let's start there. What does that look like for you, a typical day in a New York salon? Um, well, I usually start my first client at 1030 in the salon right. and that's if I don't have a house call, which I try to do before I go in. Um, a house call is when you go to, it's usually a celebrity, um, yeah. but you go to their home to do their hair because they don't want to be seen. So some places they have a private room, but even the process of going in and out for some people is a bit of a hardship. So it gives them more privacy and then no one really has to kind of know exactly what's happening behind the scenes. It's just maintaining a certain image. Perfect. We all like, we love a bit of maintenance, don't we? Oh, we love a lot of maintenance. <laughs> when, you, when you get to the salon, obviously when I was in the States, we, we had a fast pace that was, that you can't really imagine if you work in the UK because it's sort of that 18 to 24 kind of client a day. And if not more, I spoke to Anko Tran who was talking about doing 30 clients a day. How many clients yeah. a day do you do? I mean, I work with one assistant. So right. with color, my applications, typically I book 30 minutes to um, 30 minutes for a single process and then up to an hour for a highlight. And okay. that's usually for new clients. So I have time built in for consultation if I'm not able to do one before. Um, but I'd say on like a, a heavy single process day, average is probably about 16. Um, a day where there's a lot of highlights, it's probably anywhere from 10 to 12. Yeah. So that's, that's I prefer like working a more condensed day. It just makes sense to me. But it also gives me enough time where I can spend – um, enough time talking to everyone so that they don't feel like, you know, they're in a factory. I think that it's hard to sort of be, keep things busy, but also feel calm. How do you do that? I mean, it's basically how I exist in life. <laughs> um, but in the salon setting, I think that no matter how busy I am, I always try to make sure that every person that I see has a moment with me. So a lot of times it might be remembering something that they experienced or they were going to or where they were having dinner. It might be 
a year that, you know, I've seen them last and it might be 10 days because I have very different um, frequency of visits, let's say. And it's something where I don't know why, but the way my brain works is I remember stories. Right. So I couldn't tell you what I had for breakfast yesterday or what I wore two weeks ago. But when I see someone and I start talking to them, I'm able to remember these moments. So even if there's four clients on either side of them, they won't feel it because we're sharing this moment. So I'm able to connect with them. So even if it's super busy, I still have that moment with them where we're really having that one-on-one -on -one time. Yeah, I think connection is the most important thing with clients anyway, isn't it? Connecting with yeah. them. And that's, that's probably why some clients work with us and some clients don't, because if there isn't that, that connection, then it's impossible to work with them, isn't it? Well, you know, at this point, 15 years later, um, when I go to work, I'm excited to see who I'm working on that day because most of the people that I wasn't excited about have either cycled themselves out or, yeah. you know, we, I've conveniently ma made it happen where, you know, appointments weren't available. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's the way in which you have to be able to look after yourself as well, isn't it? I mean, we're, as hairdressers, we, we know that it's a service industry and we provide a service, but at the same time, we need to also look after our own well-being while doing that. Totally. So New York is hyper-competitive. Um, anyone that's been to New York knows the city's just bustling and teeming. It feels very different to central London, I think because London's so spread out and New York's so high-risey. How do you stand out in a super-competitive market? Um, I think it's interesting because... Obviously, there's a lot of great hairdressers out there, yeah. but the type of clientele that I attract is very diverse. So I have the opportunity to create lots of different hair looks. So sometimes I might be doing a pastel look. Sometimes I'm creating something that's super low maintenance. Sometimes I'm doing color for someone that comes every 10 days. So it really pushes me to think outside of the box and because I'm able to come and figure out creative solutions in a time-efficient manner, it's something that really keeps bringing clients into my chair because I'm not doing one client a day. I'm doing yeah. multiple clients. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is I have a reputation for being very honest, and I also say no a lot. So if I don't think that something is right, I'll sell, send them away or I'll tell them to go home and schedule for another time because if they don't need the color, I don't feel the need to do it. I love that. I, hairdressers find it difficult to say no, don't they? There's either the pressure from the management to bill and bill everybody and make the money that way or there's the pressure from the client who wants it done. But it can end up so chaotic if we just keep saying yes. So let's talk about the word no. I think it's super important because at the end of the day, if you think about it, it's your reputation that's walking around as a billboard. So if you do someone's hair too much and their hair gets fried or oversaturated, it's not going to look good, right? So yeah. when someone leaves the salon or even when they're coming in, I want people asking them, who does your hair? And that's what happens. So, I mean, I had a client the other day who I sent her home twice. 
And literally by the second time that I had sent her home, she saw me walking over and she looked at me and she's like, you're going to tell me to go home, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) But if you knew I was going to tell you to go home, like send me a picture, text me and let's see if you need to come in. I mean, thankfully she's my last client. So it wasn't like I had a giant gap. But I have no problem telling people, like, if I think your hair looks good far away and it looks even better when I get up close, then we don't need to do it. So I gave her some shampoo, you know, she had a glass of wine, we had a quick chat, and then she went on her way. So hopefully, when we're back to work sooner than later, she'll be one of the first clients that I actually do see. <laughs> I love that. I have clients and they're like, I'm like, your hair looks great. And they're like, yeah, but... And I'm like, no, it looks really good. It looks great. Yeah. Why, why are you here? And there's some of them that kind of say, oh, well, you know, I've got something going on in a couple of weeks. And people try, don't they? Yes, but I, think, yes. I think no is an incredibly important word that not all of us feel empowered to say. So it's lovely to hear someone talking about that. Well, and you know what? The more I say no, it really empowers them to trust me more because I'm giving them my professional opinion, which is I could easily be greedy and take your money, but that doesn't sit well. And that's not what's going to walk away, you know, being the best thing. Because that same girl that I said no to, she trusts me because the first time she came in to get her hair done, she was referred to me from someone else who couldn't handle it. But she basically had like really fragile, fine blonde hair. And she had these weird black spots in the middle of her hair. So they had done a single process unnecessarily, tried to bleach it out, got some weird dark color on it. And it was a process. And she went from being this like super frenetic, like, oh my God, crazy girl in my chair. I'm pretty sure she was even on the phone yelling at her sister to now she just comes in. She's just like, okay, what are we doing? Oh, you're going to send me home. Oh, like she just goes with the flow because now there's this trust. So she doesn't feel like she has to micromanage everything. Yes. And I think New York women are renowned for micromanaging as well. So you've got to micromanage the micromanager. (laughs) But it's amazing, isn't it really? Because somebody, when they come to you, one of my other guests talked about this early on in the podcast, that it could take you three visits before your real color shows up because you're working with something else that's already there. And it can take you a year or maybe two years to finally get where you want to be. Yeah. And there's always this push from the client about wanting instant satisfaction because of things like Instagram and, you know, you see these before and afters and the filters and clients don't necessarily understand that. And the realities of what the hair can actually cope with. How, do you manage, and this is a big one on this podcast, how do you manage client expectations? Well, the first thing I do is check the integrity of their hair. So I see what the canvas that I'm dealing with can actually handle. So sometimes it's something as simple as a strand test. And if I take that piece of hair in front of their eyes and pull on it and it snaps immediately, it's very easy to convince them. But I typically do talk to them about a color journey. And I think it's really important for us as professionals to be really smart about what we say we can do. So I believe it's better to under-promise and over-deliver. 
So if you say it's going to take three visits and they're actually 10 times happier than when they walked in after that first visit, you've got, you know, not only are you a rock star, but you've got a lifelong client now because yes. you're able to do something that they didn't think they were going to be able to achieve. Yeah, I agree. And there's been this sort of pushback I've seen on social about the journey as in, you know, you should be able to do it all in one go. But I actually have never believed that you can transform somebody um, necessarily immediately, especially when their hair's fragile and there's a, this whole thing going on. There are, there are moments and there are clients where you can do big transformations and it's radical, but it's not always the case. Well, and I think it also depends on the type of work environment you're in. So if you're in a high-paced salon, and I mean, I'm in a salon that's on Fifth Avenue, there's 38 chairs. Um, I think there's like 80 employees, including everyone. We're busy, you know? And there's some people that are working by themselves. So if you're working independently, then yes, you have eight hours to do a color transformation or to take someone from a level two to a level 10 because you can watch it and be that careful. But for me, the way that I work, it's much more efficient. And also, the thing that I love about the color journey is 90% of the time, they fall in love with their hair before they get to that point that they think they want to be at. And it's because they leave the salon the color is more realistic. It's more flattering for their skin tone and they start getting compliments. And the second they start getting compliments and that feedback, then it kind of reinforces in their head like, oh, okay, maybe I don't need to look like an Instagram superstar, you know, because yes. it's not realistic. I love that. I love that a lot. In your salon, um, USA is slightly different, I think, to the UK, whereas UK, you have to do an allergy alert test before you even see a client, which is 48 hours. And I've been able to manage the consultations and the allergy alert tests in in that kind of setting how do you how do you do a consult do you charge for them do you take deposits what do you do in new york um we're supposed to take a consultation deposit a fee that goes towards the appointment um but it's very different with me because um i started getting a lot when we had so you can't book with me online so most people in the salon you can book online but my experience in the first couple of months was that people were booking in as single processes that were new without a consultation and they would have flown in from kuwait and they came there just to get their hair done. And they definitely required more than a 30-minute appointment. Yes. So luckily, my clients are super understanding. And, sh- and the guest was being flexible. But I don't want someone to sit there for six hours so I can tend to their hair in between my properly booked appointments. Right. You know? So it was something that I had to do to really help gain control of my business. So... Because I don't, um, you can't book me online. And honestly, there's some stylists that start out and they wait for the salons to feed them. Um, But I think because of the variety of work and how active I am, and I'm not even super active, like I try to do one post a day, but I get a lot of new clients from Instagram and people messaging me because they find me through the socials. So if they contact me directly, I have them send me photos of the hair, you know, natural light, different angles. And then we immediately start talking about what it is that they want. And then I give them where my prices start at. 
and then I book them in. And usually that's a nice seamless process. But if I do someone and they are coming in blind, then for sure I request a consultation. It doesn't always happen, but for sure if someone's in as a color correction, I have to see them before I take them. Because right. I can't manage unknowns when I have a busy book of loyal clients that I'm going to be taking care of. I hate the unknowns. I hate going into a day blind. I like to know what's in front of me. It just makes it easier for me to manage. Yes, yes. So Min, I want to go back to earlier in this conversation, you said you were forced to go to education. And it's really quite funny because, of course, I was forced to go on a balayage course and it was the best thing that ever happened to me um, when I look back on it. And I do laugh that I only stayed for the morning and went shopping in the afternoon. I mean, Nancy, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> Nancy still gives me a hard time about that. <laughs> but here you are now. You're part of a global team. Uh, you're teaching internationally. When we were traveling, you were on the road all the time. Yeah. Can we talk about your career, not just now in education, but what drew you into education from being forced to falling in love? What, where did that all start? You know, I made that connection where when I first started um, in color, it was um, an opportunity where I really knew I wanted to work on the color side because in New York, you have to be departmentalized. So when yeah. I started... I started in a larger salon um, and I love styling, cutting not so much, but I love styling hair and I really wanted to work on that side. Um, but I worked in a salon for eight months and it was miserable. And then I also saw that they didn't make that much money. So the left side of my brain was like, ching, ching. So I had an opportunity to start at Butterfly, which is where I've been for 15 years. And I say that because it's seriously to this day, it's the longest relationship I've ever had. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, but the funny thing is when I started, I wanted to um, go through the whole assistant program. So part of that was going to classes. And I think we had like two or I don't know, maybe it was like four classes a year we had to go to. And I kept thinking when I was working how balayage was really ugly and it just didn't look good. So, you know, the owner of the salon called up Nancy Braun and like had me go to a class and I had this moment where I was just like, oh my God, it's not balayage that's ugly. I just suck at it. So <laughs> I realized yes. that it's not the technique, it's the person and it's the amount of effort and it's just like having that connection visually where it like finally speaks to you. So now it's like crazy because I can just look at hair and I know what to do. So even if we don't have the right products, even if I have like limited time, I know how to make things happen. But it's something that's been developed and um, I guess that's matured over time. And education's been something where it's been really good for me too because I get super bored. And whether I'm on a stage, I'm doing a master class, I'm doing a class in an academy or in a salon, it's always something different. It's always something new. And I'm constantly walking away, 
learning things myself. So it's definitely something that's feeding me, even though as a student that didn't want to be there to now be the instructor, I'm giving something away, but I'm still getting something back in return. So it's kind of like an amazing cycle. And how did, how did you get into education? I think, okay, so the first class I ever did, um, I got called up because L'Oreal, um, it was right when Luo had launched. They, I guess, didn't have an educator for a class that was happening out in San Francisco. So the VP of education at the time, Andrew Bartfield, um, basically called up the salon and Katya recommended me. And I went out there and literally just put together a Luo course of like what I'm doing, what works. And it's mostly it was like breaking the rules because obviously when you work with the manufacturer, there's a way they recommend. But obviously as creative people, we always find ways to bend the rules. So it was basically a class where I did that. And I ended up working um, as an artist maybe about a year later. He called me back up and we had a conversation. And then it was right when the Balayage team was being created. So I remember, I think everyone had to go to do a certification with Nancy and do, I don't know, like a hundred heads or something crazy. But because I had trained with Nancy and she knew my work, I was on the team and it was just when everything kind of got kicked off and we started the first certification program in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. That certification program is probably the only one in the world that I know of for that. And of course, driven by, Nancy Braun, who's just amazing. And of course, Sandra Bartfield, who's no longer with us, sadly missed indeed. Yeah. So you started on the certification program. Now, we all know in education, learning to be an educator is a completely different skill to doing hair. What do you think, as an educator, your strongest skills are? And where do you think you want to improve? skills? Mm. I think my strongest skill is definitely that I'm super organized and I can deliver content in a way that makes sense, but also simplify it so that it's not overwhelming. Yeah, they're good skills. So that's something where um, it really helps you to connect with your audience when you can deliver information in a more direct manner, but it's also delivering information in a way that's very visual. So a lot of times when I talk, I, I talk fast because I'm trying to describe things so that whatever I'm seeing in my brain is what's being communicated out of my mouth. So that's something that I've learned to pare down a bit, but I think that the thing that was my strength is perhaps the thing that could be my Achilles heel because I'm so organized and so um, strong in that sense that I think people are intimidated and don't really get to see or it takes a while for them to really um, understand that I'm actually funny and like really goofy and not a robot at all like I'm a person. You are incredibly funny. But Thanks, I, think, I think so. I think you are. But I think that I, I kind of get that. I love the organization skill and I'm really organized about it. Sometimes I worry if it goes off track 
Do you know what I mean? Too much, it's like if somebody takes me off what I'm trying to do and I'm like, I have to bring it all back in. But I think also people think that you're going to be sort of aloof or I'm going to be aloof or something. And I'm not, I'm really quite down to earth, but it's, I suppose, how they perceive us, isn't it? Yeah, it's the perception versus the reality, I think. Yeah. Um, it's like, I think when you are put together or you do speak a certain way or, but I think like that's all the stuff that, you know, I'm Asian. My parents were strict. I wanted to be a doctor. Like I, I am solution oriented. So I don't look at a problem and spin on my wheels. I look for the answer right away. And not only one answer, multiple answers, but not everyone's brain is wired that way. I kind of think that's an American thing. You know, it's don't give me the reasons why you can't do something, find a solution. And my, my career in the States ended up with me understanding that much better. Find a solution, don't complain about it, you know, fix it, make it happen, which is a very American statement, isn't it? Let's make it happen. Is um, it? And I, yeah, I think so. And I love that. I love that about my American friends. They definitely want to find solutions. They're not just going to say, oh, it won't work because of A, B, C, D. They'll say, well, it might not work, but if we try it this way yeah. or this way or this way, and I, I love that. Well, it's much more efficient, isn't it? Um, I think it's just the way people think, isn't it? I find, I find it more rewarding to be around people that want to find solutions rather than people that are throwing things in the way of it. Yeah, 100%. So you started off educating for the US team. Uh, what, what, what did that look like at that point? So you go in, you go, you get a phone call, you go off to San Francisco. That's not a bad first gig, is it, really? No, and, it's a beautiful um, place, too. <laughs> it's a beautiful city, isn't it? And you go off and you do that, and obviously you come back with many feelings around it, I'm sure. I remember my first one still. I think I just wanted the stage to open up and I wanted to disappear in it. I, I didn't enjoy it at all the first time around. But I found my message, and my message has always been that there's nothing wrong with being commercial. There's nothing wrong with making money. None of them are dirty words. And I've sort of stuck to that, and that's worked for me. What what did you find was your message and that you've stuck to it? I think my message is always about creating beautiful, healthy hair, no matter Mm -hmm. what technique or color that you're doing. And I think especially with what's happening in social media, there's a lot of people walking around with really bad hair. So the technique or the method, I think, gets a bad rap, but it's really just the person behind it. So the more people I can touch, the more people I can talk to and really show them that there's a better and another way to do it, I think is going to be something that'll just make this profession in general much stronger never mind elevated but more educated and stronger so that we're really able to help more women look more beautiful and to still have healthy hair because at the end of the day you know it's the first thing people see you can change your clothes you can change your makeup but really unless you're wearing a wig the hair that you have on your head is what you have I love that. I love the fact about making it stronger not necessarily elevating but making it stronger through education. I've always believed to work in a salon makes you a better educator anyway, because Mm. like you, you you have a busy schedule in the salon, but you also have a busy schedule teaching. But when you're going into the salons, you come from a a position of authenticity 
that you know the struggle is real, you know what's going on, and therefore you can educate in a, in a more sort of personal, honest way, I believe, rather than sitting in an office and devising strange plans for strange sectioning patterns. You don't have to do that. Right. And I think also that it really does help that I work in a fast paced environment and I'm exposed to so many different personality types because when I go in a lot of times, like for me, when I listen to someone tell me what their issue is, it's very easy to kind of like problem solve, like you just need to be more efficient or there's tweak this or try that. So it's interesting how the more I interact with people, it's like, you know, working in a crazy place like New York city really has helped to, um, make me a better educator because this is not the same from the standpoint of energy. Like I could have 14 people in my chair and it's 14 different types of energy. So it's almost like you're walking onto a different stage every time you're dealing with someone, mm-hmm. you know, like I have a client who lost a daughter maybe six years ago. And for the first three years after that, every time she came in, I would just have to check in with her because sometimes she couldn't even speak because she would start crying immediately. So the whole time it would literally just be like, put my hand on her shoulder and just like give her a tissue and let her have a moment, you know, or even walk away so she could do whatever she needed to do to pull herself together. But every single time there's always something different happening with each person. So, you know, if that's the case, then I'll tell you what, I got that single process on fast. And then I gave her her time. But she always knew that when she came to see me, she was in a safe place. So, Min, when we were last in Paris together, as you do, I, um, I remember you talking about a photo finish. You, you come up with these great little concepts. And I was like, what the hell's a photo finish? <laughs> and it was, it was part of your menu. And one of the big conversations that we've had on this podcast with colorists is how to communicate color in a way that people understand and that excites them. It's a language, isn't it? Yes. Photo finish. What is photo finish again? Um, Basically, a photo finish is a gloss, but it's a gloss that people pay for. Yes. So what was happening in our salon is that people were used to getting glosses. So when L'Oreal launched Deolite, Um, I remember the two things that really stood out to me was that it gave you a mirror-like shine and it had a resurfacing effect on the hair. So those are two things that I think are what women want. So when we had to start charging for it, I started calling a gloss a photo finish. So instead of a gloss being something where most people, I think, were used to getting it to fix something because they needed to, like something was wrong something didn't look right. The photo finish really became a desirable service that people wanted. So I was doing the photo finish as a service that they wanted and needed because it made their hair shinier. It made the hair feel better, you know? So it was just reinventing that wheel in another way where you're changing the verbiage. So instead of something that they're used to getting for free, this is now something that they need to have. So clever. And, but also, of course, the salons, we do need to charge for these services because they eat up so much product and then you end up not making a profit. And we, although we have a passion about hair color, we also need to make livelihoods. What else is on your menu that is, sounds different? that people might sort of say to you, oh, what's that? Um, A dimensional single process. Right. 
which single uh, processes should be dimensional, shouldn't they? But we never say that. That's really cool. Well, so there's the dimensional single process, which is basically incorporating a few low lights. Right. So um, I work with L'Oreal Professional Hair Color and with Enoa, it's a color that you really do need to take through on like, especially like coarser, rougher textures. Um, but then you're really creating like, it's more work <laughs> because you have to pull through hair. And I'm thinking of a client in particular who her hair always fades and she would need to pull through and would take a million tubes of color. So instead, I just started pulling through like large pieces and leaving the, the hair that was already oxidized as the lighter highlight. And it yes. just became part of the single process. So I booked the same amount of time. It takes me a third of a tube more, but I'm able to charge like another $100. Yeah, I love that. I don't like to pull tints all the way through, only every so often, no. because I do, I do like that variance. But I, I like that. Well, is, is there another one that you can think of that is something that is, is the thing, the same as normal, but you've just changed the language? Well, it's something that I'm teaching, actually, which oh, is yeah. high-impact balayage or impactful placement. Okay. So it's really just about focusing on the sections that women see. So it's how to cheat, you know, like instead of doing a million pieces, which you know this very well, it's really about strategic placement of hair color. So for me, it's always about painting the haircut and the shape and not necessarily the amount of pieces that I'm doing. It's so funny though, because people find that, well, not people, hairdressers find that so hard to understand that it's like 14 pieces. I mean, it could be eight, it could be 10, it could be 14, but if it's any more, it's a half a head. Yes. It, you know, it's, it's trying to make people understand that you don't need to put a lot in to make something look magical. And the monetary, the financial price isn't for the amount you put in, it's for where you put them in. Right. It's for your artistry, your eye. It's the look that you create, which is the thing that, you know, and this is why as much as I've been traveling, when I'm not there and I have to put someone in someone else's chair, I'm not worried about them not coming back because no one's going to be able to do the same thing that I do. You know, I mean, if I'm careful about where I'm putting my clients, it's more about personality fit, right? Yes, absolutely. You can, I've always believed that you can teach application, but you can't teach the eye everyone's eye is different and so when we always say it's as unique as your fingerprint it really is right we are not at mcdonald's here right and everyone's vision of beauty is going to be a little different absolutely talking of visions of beauty and balayage and all those wonderful things that we love balayage when we started when i started it used to be the victoria secret kind of girl look didn't it and there's been this huge change in the last 20 years from super soft to more exaggerated how do you feel about the journey where do you sit in that now have you changed your styles at all or are you still is it is it still the same i doubt whether it's still the same no mine's definitely evolving but I think a lot of it too is I have to find ways to work more efficiently because if I'm trying to maximize the impact that I'm doing, it's how to make shortcuts happen and how mm -hmm. to get, you know, 
um, different looks. And then also the thing too is that as new products launch, I'm playing with hair color in ways that you know I hadn't done 15 years ago when I first started. Yeah, technology helps, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. Where are you now with your career? So we talked about a little bit where you started out, but now you are going, well, your Minikin's gone worldwide. <laughs> I mean, there was a time when we'd be messaging each other and it's like, what country are you in? What time zone are you on? Yeah. You know, how do you feel? Quite an emotional journey, yeah? Yeah, it's crazy, actually. It's kind of like... Um... I feel like I blinked one day and you know, what's funny is my Google drive, the pictures came up and I think we were, you and I were in Paris together two years ago. Was it two years ago? Or was it three years ago? Three years ago, I think. This, this is a great segue actually, guys. So we, we're not just reminiscing about when we last were in Paris or anything like that, but yeah. me and I were uh, put in this group of educators and Instagram influencers and we were put in a room and we were asked to you know brilliantly be part of this body called the collective and it was in that moment in that room when I I personally recognized that I had not fully embraced Instagram uh, that I was doing exactly the same as all the other people we were all hairdressers and but they had really stayed on message and did the same thing over again, over again. They spoke to their audience and I was like, this is what I really need to do. And since that moment, my Instagram account has really grown. What, have, what did you take away from that, that moment in time? Was that, did that challenge you? Did, did you find that like su- supremely helpful? Was it magical for you? It was certainly magical for me. I mean, I think it was magical in the sense that I never, it's funny because I don't, it's always strange when people say things to me that, you know, it makes me uncomfortable because I don't see myself that way. Mm. So when people are like, oh, minkin this, minkin that, or I have people sending me messages from all over the world and they're like, oh, you're my color idol. And it's just very bizarre to me because I'm still going to work, you know, during the week when things are normal and I'm not traveling and going about my day and I've got my kids to take care of. So when I was in that room, it was kind of like the beginning of the aha moment where I was just like, Oh my God, these are all really badass hairdressers. And here I am, you know, my following then wasn't as big as it is now and there's still tons of room to grow, but I love that I'm doing it in a way that's very authentic and I'm trying to keep it positive and also true and speak to people about things beyond just hair even though it is what I'm doing. But, you know, I think that people in general, everyone goes through different things. So when you have these highlights to share, and sometimes it's even sharing that, like, we've had moments as human beings where we haven't been at our best. You know, these are all things that, you know, when I think about the posts and the things that I get the most feedback on, it's really when I'm, like, speaking from the heart. It's not just about posting pictures of hair. Because those no. are really the ones that kind of like tank. <laughs> so we're, we're basically talking about Instagram now, of course, yeah. which is, you know, love it or hate it. There are people that love it, people who hate it. I find it's been hugely beneficial for me. Once I found my clear voice, I really enjoy that. Um, let's talk about your Instagram account. So I'm going to just pull you up. 
How is it for you building, or how do you find it, building your brand as Min Kim while working for a salon and a product company? How do you balance that in your Instagram account? Because your Instagram account is really interesting. You've got hair tutorials, you've got applications, you've got, you've got lots of um, pretty girls on there too. So I try to have a blend of everything that my audience likes. So I have a lot of hairdressers. I also have clients that follow me. And then I also have like random people. So it's really just, I think, connecting on a human level as an artist, as an educator, as a salon worker, as a person who inspires people. Um, But really it's just about connecting. So even the photos that I realize that do better for me are when there's eye contact. So I don't really like posting back shots of hair. No, I hate that. Yeah, there's just no connection. So I really look to connect with my audience whenever I post something. So whether it's I'm sharing something about me or the technique or the models that I'm shooting, it's really just about making sure that, you know, it's something that makes them stop for a moment and think, oh, hey, that's pretty. Or, oh, I want to see that. Or, oh, that was fun, you know? Authenticity. Yeah. Authenticity. I love that word. It's actually really true. I mean, it gets brandished around a lot these days, but, you know, there is, there's nothing like it. 18 clients, 12 clients, how do you get a picture of them? Or do you get a picture of them? Or do you just not bother with that? I certainly just can't do it. Well, so what I've started doing is I have my clients featured in my stories. So I put them into that because the strange thing is, I know a lot of times people are like, their clients don't want to be photographed. Mine harass me to be (laughs) on Instagram. They harass me or they have other people take videos and then tag me in it like, ah, ha, ha, ha. So it's kind of bizarre to me when I hear people say that they don't have people that want to be featured, you know? So, I mean, I started doing content days, which I haven't had that much time for because I've been traveling so much. But if I can work with um, a model and do, and you know, the thing is in New York, the lighting is so tricky. So I try to do one model in the morning, get some pictures, and then call it a day. But of course, now that we have daylight savings, we've got the global pandemic happening. So nothing's happening right now. No content days at the moment, hey, unless you're making content at home. Right. Yeah. Yeah, really sad times for our industry at the moment. So hopefully that'll be a bit more uplifting for them, listening to things like this and seeing things online and stuff. We're, we're connecting as a community, which is pretty amazing. Well, and I think that's what you and I were chatting about is that, you know, this is a very lonely time. And I think even as a traveling hairdresser, it's very, very lonely. Like people think that it's glamorous being on a plane or being in front of people, but, you know, they're not people that really know us. So to have this break where we're forced to be with our families if we're together or to have the moment to connect with our friends from all over the world. Um, It's something that I'm walking away from, like taking that as a win because we have to look for the good in this moment right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I said to you the other yesterday or the day before, I think we've spoken every day this week, actually, that I said, <laughs> you know, I sort of said to you in that, that um, it's so difficult to stay in touch for us. Um, first of all, time, time zones, and then the travel. And so it's sort of these moment texts and quick videos, where we've actually had time to really sort of sit back and enjoy each other for a moment, which has been an absolute pleasure. And it's been so lovely to have you on board on this podcast. You've got a fascinating story. I wanted to ask you, are you on TikTok? I am. Are you struggling with TikTok? I, honest to God, I, I have no idea what to do with it. And well, then I, oh my God. And wait, and honestly, in my defense, I'm going to say that this is like mostly a music based app. And when everyone else was like dancing to tunes when they were young, I was learning how to speak English. So <laughs> to this day, to this day, I don't know the words to anything. So, and so, and, and for that reason, it's like, I don't even sing happy birthday. Like I'll sit there and I'll clap and I'll smile, but I feel very uncomfortable singing. So I don't know the words to anything. So it's very like Instagram stories for me, like I can put together stories with music very easily, but to have to dance and record yourself and like edit the video like that, it's way too much for me. Yeah, it's a lot for me too, I think. But I think that it's a platform that I'm going to keep my eye on. What's your favorite social platform? I mean, still right now it's, it's the gram, but I think for good times, the TikTok just, and I said the TikTok just because I don't get it still. Um, but I think you're right. That's something to watch. Um, but it's, you know, I'm just curious to see what happens because the audience is pretty young, even though it's super, super huge. So I wonder what audiences get older. Audiences get older. I think it's good to have a presence on all these platforms that come up. I mean, if you remember Periscope, everyone was all over Periscope and then it disappeared and died a death. Just good to get the presence, get your name on there, whether or not you actually do anything with it. That's fine. But, um, yeah. I think we've got to have one social platform to talk to clients. And for me, it's Instagram. For sure. For sure. Depending how long this goes, you might see me do a little dance routine. But, you know, I was going to have a TikTok dance lesson with my friend's 10-year-old, but she's busy doing school stuff right now. So, Well, I look forward to seeing that. I'll, po- I'll post that on my story. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you tonight. What a, an amazing journey. What a great journey. And... Um, I wish you all the luck in the future and no doubt I'll be speaking to you later on today, but thank you so much for sharing your time with our audience. Oh, thanks Jack. It's Min Kim Colorist on Instagram and it's Colorist, the American way, C-O-L-O-R-I-S-T. Give her a follow, take a look at her page and uh, this is the Everyday Hair Colorist. Thank you very much for listening. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcast from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. C-O-L-O-R.com.